The difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and the lightning bug. That is a quote by Samuel Mark Twain Clemens. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 45. The topic of this week's episode is Step Into the Spotlight. My guest this week is Sufit. Sufit is the author of the award-winning book, Step Into the Spotlight, A Guide to Getting Notice. Sufit is a former lawyer who now coaches professionals, entrepreneurs, business owners, authors, speakers, coaches, consultants, and CEOs to catapult their personal brand and themselves into a starring role. She coaches her clients to get seen, get heard, and get noticed. Hi, Sufi. Welcome to the show. My pleasure. Pleasure to be here. I'm glad we're finally connecting. I know we've played tag for a little bit, and I'm so glad that you have time out of your busy schedule to um, be here with me on Trina Talk. So why don't we just go ahead and dive right in. And my first question to you is, one, am I pronouncing your name correctly with Sufit? Sufit, yeah. Um, I, I get asked that a lot, and I usually get asked it off the air before we jump on, whether it's a podcast or radio or whatever. And I was just uh, telling, and Trina did ask me off the air, guys, and I told her, ask me on the show, because once I was doing ter- a terrestrial radio show, that's what they call, quote unquote, real radio, you know, with the radio station, old fashioned radio. And she asked me the same question before the show, Sufit, how do I pronounce your name? Or she actually, she was calling me Sufit. And I said, no, no, not fit. It's feet, feet, feet. So she wrote down in her notes for herself, feet, feet, feet. So we get on the radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome. And today we have award-winning author Sue Foot. <laughs> oh, my Lord. So she remembered the feet part, but she just got a little tiny bit wrong. So that, you know what? It was embarrassing for a second, but then I got a cute story that I could tell forevermore. So it was kind of worth it. <laughs> Lemons, <laughs> lemonade, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, that is funny. And I always try to ask people if I'm not sure. And even if it's a name I can pronounce, I always ask because I had one guest who I said her whole name, which is what she, you know, introduced me as. And she said, no, I want to go by a nickname. She said, that's what I'm known as. So I said, oh, okay. So I always like to ask because you never know. Good idea. Good idea. So I am interested in just talking with you because I know you're a coach, you're an author, you're a speaker, kind of doing exactly what I'm doing. But you tell me, what did you do before you decided to do those things? And what brought you to where you are today? Sure. Well, let me go all the way back. Yes. Okay. So I'm a little kid, little two feet, and I just loved you know, show business and singing and uh, I used to do little shows for other kids. And when I was in, you know, um, 
elementary school and in high school, I was, you know, in choirs and shows and folk singing club and all this stuff. And then I did, you know, city community theater. I get to university. I start doing um, bigger things and ended up doing um, uh, a comedic character on a national TV show for four years. Um, but before I did that, I, you know, my parents wanted me to be practical. So what does practical mean? You become a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, you know, something more recognized than an actress, a singer, a comedian, right? So I did, I became a lawyer, a litigation lawyer, because I was always very naturally interested in law. I was in the debate club when I was a kid and everybody said to my mom, oh, your, your kid should be a lawyer. She loves to argue <laughs> and she's good at it and good at the logic. So I did end up becoming a litigation lawyer, which I did for 10 years. I practiced for 10 years. Uh, during that 10 years, I also had four baby girls um, and uh, four in four years, actually. The oldest was not four and a half when her baby sister was born and there were two in between. So boom, 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 boom. And uh, after the fourth was born, I went back to work and then I started thinking, you know, is that all there, you know, like, is that all there is? Or am I ever going to do this showbiz thing? Am I ever going to be an actress or a singer or whatever? And um, so finally, I kind of did. I, I said, you know what, let me try this. So I put out a music CD called Under the Mediterranean Sky and, you know, brought together with a great co-producer and a lot of musicians and um, started promoting it. And it eventually made top album lists on folk radio and world radio. I mean, it wasn't ever mainstream. Um, but it made a lot of lists and uh, got a lot of publicity and people started asking me, how'd you do that? So I started coaching other people and I thought originally that I'd be coaching creative you know, people, but eventually it became more entrepreneurs. And actually I shouldn't say it that way because entrepreneurs are some of the most creative people, but I was thinking, you know, it'd be like in the arts, you know, singers, actors, whatever, but ended up co coaching entrepreneurs and professionals on how to, first of all, when I started my coaching practice, it was how to follow that dream. So how to change from whatever it is you're doing and do what you really want to do, right? Which is what I did, leaving law for the limelight. But not that law was something I didn't want to do, but this was kind of, you know, my next dream. But it quickly morphed after a few years of follow that dream coaching and coaching people to um, figure out what their dream business was and pursue it. It, it, it became clearer to me that, yeah, it's one thing to follow your dream, but it's another thing to make money doing it. Remember, I had four little baby girls to support at the time. So it kind of morphed into step into the spotlight because how do you get attention for your dream business? How do you get clients? How do you get them to show up? How do you attract or do you always have to spend your life chasing them? So that's what I started teaching people. And before you know it, I'm charging more than lawyers charge to coach people um, to step into the spotlight. And people said, Sophie, can't you just like write a book or something? <laughs> you know, not everybody could afford to uh, engage me personally. So, uh, and I started also teaching, you know, group programs and now I have online programs. But so I wrote this book called Step Into the Spotlight, A Guide to Getting Noticed. Then the book got noticed, which, you know, you kind of got to do if you write a book about how to get noticed, because if the book doesn't get noticed, you're kind of a fraud and nobody's going to pay you to help them get noticed. So phew on that one, I uh, got endorsed by, you know, a lot of well-known marketing authors. And um, so that's kind of uh, the path that I took. And then um, I had a client who was really interested in LinkedIn, which I wasn't so much because it seemed kind of 
boring and professional and stuffy to me and all the things that I'd run away from. But then again, the articles about me said she brings color to business or, you know, teaching the world to dream in technicolor or whatever. So I kind of did that on LinkedIn. I created a LinkedIn group called Step Into the Spotlight, same as uh, the title of my book. And we are very close to hitting 10,000. Hopefully by the time your uh, podcast comes out, uh, we will have crossed the 10,000 mark uh, of participants in that group, members of the Step Into the Spotlight group on LinkedIn, which by the way, if any of your listeners want to check it out, you go to spotlightgroup.biz, B-I-Z. And if I like you, or if you tell me that Trina sent you, maybe I'll let you in. Um, We don't let everybody in because it's a group of movers and shakers, entrepreneurs, experts, podcasters, all sorts of media, coaches, uh, professionals, people who are actively doing something interesting and we get together to support each other um, stepping into the spotlight. Wow, that's very interesting. So I have a question for you. Since you have stepped into the spotlight and left law, are there any days that you regret it? Um, you know, not, not really. Uh, every entrepreneur is on a roller coaster, right? You have your highs, you have your lows, you have the time when clients are coming, you know, like crazy more and more and more and more, and you're so busy. And then you have little lulls where it's not so busy. And in the lulls, you don't get the regular paycheck that you get when you're working for somebody else. So at that time, you think, you know, should I, you know, but it never lasts more than a few seconds because this lifestyle is a freeing lifestyle. And whereas before maybe I worked 40 hours a week, this way I could work three hours a week, you know, seven hours a week, whatever, or even, you know, a certain number of hours per month. And depending on the situation, earn close to, or at least, you know, earn enough to live on and then have all that free time to be creative, to travel, um, you know, for example, this year I, I went to um, Spain for the first two months of the year. And then last month, just on a whim, um, I flew overseas. Uh, you know, my my brother was over there and he said, you should come. And the day he said that, I bought a ticket and I was there. Um, I, I was on the plane that, that day, <laughs> the day that I decided to do that. You can't do that if you're working for somebody else. Um and the other thing that I do is, like, for example, today we're recording this podcast and I've shared with you, Trina, that this is the fourth podcast that I've been a guest on today. Um, and people might think, you know, well, why do I bunch them all together? The reason I bunch them all together is so that I can have the freedom on a different day. So I'm not going to fly overseas on this day because I've made a commitment to four people today to um, be a guest on their podcast. But, and, you know, tomorrow I have clients, but, but, you know, the day after, if I want to fly somewhere, I can do it. So you can't really do that if you're working for someone else. And especially with a lawyer, I couldn't even make lunch dates with people that were firm because I would always say whenever somebody, you know, called me to have lunch with me, I'd say, yeah, yeah, uh, we'll have lunch, you know, Thursday at at one o'clock unless, you know, I have a motion filed against one of my clients and I have to go to court or, you know, there's always like your schedule is not your own. Mm-hmm. And uh, as an entrepreneur, I have a little more control, a lot more control over my schedule. I totally get that because that's the reason why I decided to do exactly what you have done is for the freedom. Because you mentioned Spain and my heart just went up because that's my all time favorite place that I've been around the world. 
And I tell people I'm going to buy a vacation home there and that's where I'm going to retire. Where do you go in Spain? I've been to Barcelona and Madrid and Cadiz nice. and Sevilla. Um, so just probably like Madrid or one of those small places I want to retire at. But I like you. I like traveling and my yeah. children like traveling. So exactly when you're working for someone else, you can't just get up and go when you want to. Right. And that is, you know, that's all a part of um, being your own boss. But, you know, Trina, sorry, I, I have to interject here if I may. May I? Sure. A lot of uh, entrepreneurs make a really big mistake, in my opinion. They leave corporate for all the reasons that you and I just discussed, mm -hmm. dreaming of all the freedom that you and I just discussed. And then they fill their schedule with so many commitments that they can't do what we just discussed, right? Mm -hmm. They have created the same kind of situation for themselves. And I speak from experience because when I first um, launched my coaching business at that time, and it was called Follow That Dream. Um, when I first launched it, I, I remember 10 months after I launched it, bragging to everybody at all the networking, you know, you go to the Chamber of Commerce Board of mm -hmm. Trade um, meetings, by the way, they don't call it Board of Trade for nothing. It's not always that um, <laughs> exciting. But anyway, uh, I used to go and I would get a lot of clients there. So I mean, I love them. I, you know, they're great places to go, but people don't always say the most interesting things. But anyway, so I would go there and I would um, brag about the fact that I know how to market and I got fully booked in 10 months and really literally I was fully booked. Like I would have people from, you know, nine, nine thirty. I mean, I had little kids then, so I had to get them to school, but like nine thirty, ten, 10, whenever I started until four or five, I never, I tried not to go beyond that. Cause again, I had kids. Um, and I would brag about how, you know, five days a week I'm fully booked, which I was. And then I overheard myself say to clients in our coaching sessions that they should take Fridays off. And I thought, what a concept. You know, I couldn't afford myself as a coach. So I would eavesdrop on my coaching sessions with other people and take my own advice only when I heard myself say it to them. And so I said, you know, to people, well, why don't you take Fridays off? So I started doing that. Wow, how liberating. Now I had three days free instead of, you know, only two. And then I liked that so much that I started taking Mondays off too. So I would bunch all my clients um, into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But since I had been fully booked for five days, I had to increase my fees. So some of the people dropped off. Um, but I was able to make in three days what I could previously make in five days because, you know, I had less clients, but they were paying more. And so, so that kind of continued. I'd slowly raise my rates. I'd slowly have less days on, on the calendar available for clients and more days on the calendar were white space and available for me. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make is they try to replace their corporate life with an entrepreneurial life following the same model as corporate life, which is try to get clients and fill your calendar. And if your calendar's not full, you feel like a loser. You feel like a failure. Well, to me, I feel like a winner if I've got lots of white space. I mean, obviously, we have to earn a living. But there's nobody to say that you can't earn in, you know, three days a week or even three days a month what people earn in a whole month if you're strategic about it. Um, and that's what I focus on coaching people to do. You know what? That right there was the price of admission because that said a lot because I have found that myself, just like you were saying, you're going, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. And the other day I was thinking, you know what? I, I, I want to have some time for myself. So 
that tip that you just gave, I hope everyone was listening because that was gold. I mean, well, thank you. And I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll add to that actually, because I had a moment where I kind of felt like a fraud. So, so my, you know, business now is called step into the spotlight, but then it was called follow that dream. I still use both kind of interchangeably. And, but it was called follow that dream. And I got a lot of media attention because I was, you know, promoting myself to media so that I ha- would have visibility, which is another thing I teach people how to do. And that's kind of chapter five of my book. So um, there was this article that was supposed to come out about me and my promo shot is a, a shot of me lying on a dock by the water because I love water and you know I'm sure you like in Spain you probably have similar interests to me and here I am in Canada in the middle of winter it's January wearing you know this down coat or parka or whatever I was wearing and there's snow all over the place and the article's supposed to come out and I remember check and you know articles never come out where they when they tell you they are going to because somebody more important than you comes into town and you get bumped till the following week especially if it's an evergreen article or if it's like a feature and it doesn't have to be time related to an event where you're speaking or appearing whatever so there was an article about me but it wasn't time related and it was supposed to be coming out this one so I remember going to this box where you could get the thing you know, time after time after time looking for this article about me because I used to cut them out and laminate them and, you know, put them in my press kit and whatever, right? And here I am carrying this really heavy briefcase. The briefcase is heavier than me between clients going to this box to look for this newspaper. Um, There were a ton of articles, but I just remember this one newspaper. And here I am Finally, the article comes out. I pull it out. There's a picture of two feet with a big smile, and it's a sunny day, and she, barefoot. And I still use that photo, barefoot on a dock. And the reality is, the person picking up this article is carrying this heavy briefcase, you know, be, starving between clients because I had no time to eat anything because I was back to back to back to back. Um, you know, in the snow, in the cold, slippery with boots. And I kind of said to myself, hey, Sufit, this is your dream. Are you really following your dream? And that's when I had to sort of say to myself, you know, maybe I need to revamp this a bit. And it wasn't that quick that I could actually make the change. But it was the first time I had that awareness that there was a disconnect between, you know, what I was teaching everybody and preaching and also what I wanted for myself and what my reality was. So slowly, I had to start thinking, well, how can I do that? And, you know, raising my rates was one way to do that. Of course, you lose a lot of people when you raise your rates, right? A lot less people who are willing to pay more. But then again, you don't have to have as many people. If you double your rates and you have half as many people, you're still earning the same amount and you're putting in less days. And that also gave me time and space, both physical, actual time and also space in my head. Um to create programs. And so when, you know, it got a little slower, so I created um, Spotlight 101, which is a 10-week, you know, program about how to step into the spotlight. After my book came out, people started asking me, well, you know, I I loved your book, but can you take me deeper? Well, I created a 10-week program where people went deeper. And then they said, well, how'd you get all the great endorsements from your book? And how did it win an award and whatever? So I, I created the book creation workshop. And then they said, well, how did you, you know, tell me more about this 30 seconds thing that you're, you know, that I was getting clients in 30 seconds by going to networking meetings and people asked me to teach them how to do it. So I created a program called 30 seconds in the spotlight, you know, at 30 seconds.biz. So if I hadn't done what I described to you 
and raised my rates and had fewer clients, I wouldn't have had time to create those programs. And what those programs did for me was then, you know, while I'm talking to you, Trina, right now, there might be somebody, I've had clients in Hong Kong take the program uh, um, in New Zealand, in France. So I could be talking to you and somebody on the other side of the world is taking the self-study version of that program because I only ever do it once live, usually with a dozen people or sometimes even a fewer than that. I record it and then it becomes an evergreen product. So for the last, you know, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, people have been taking those three programs while I'm doing other things, you know, while I'm in Spain, while I'm recording a podcast with you, you're going to do this podcast, you're going to put it out there, people are going to listen to you and I, but I'm not going to be sitting there while they're listening to you and I, right, I could be sitting on the beach somewhere, or I could be creating more content or another program. So the thing we want to keep in mind is to leverage our time, and to create some freedom for ourselves, so that our business doesn't become something that we're chained to. You know, yes, I'm chained to my desk today because, yes, today I made a commitment to four people to appear on their podcast. But even between the podcasts, I left a little time. I'm able to have a bite to eat. I'm able to go to a different room and, you know, check what's going on with my LinkedIn group. I've got almost 10,000 entrepreneurs there who are talking to each other, um, which also creates opportunity for me because, you know, they know about me and I'm not necessarily there talking to them all the time. When I was overseas in Spain or or uh, recently overseas, you know, I had a moderator dealing with it. And uh, these are all ways that people can know about you and know about your business and be thinking of hiring you or, or somebody right now, while we're speaking, I'm sure there are people all around the world reading the Step Into the Spotlight book, right? But I'm not standing there, you know, they spend four to six hours with me while I'm talking to you. So again, I'm leveraging my time. And at the end of reading that book, they might send me an email and say, Sufit, I want you to coach me about, you know, my 30 seconds or how to add humor to my speech or how to get more well-known or branding, or whatever it is they want, publicity. But I'm not sitting there chasing them with cold calls or trying to set up sales appointments or any of the stuff that people do when they leave corporate and think that, you know, they're, they're making their life better. That, that's not necessarily better because at least with corporate, as I pointed out before, at least you get a paycheck. Here you don't get a paycheck regularly. Might as well have the freedom. And right. in order to get the freedom and the paycheck, you got to leverage your time and you got to repurpose your content and do more than one thing at once. Wow. Like I said, that you're just, you're giving such great gems and I hope everybody's paying attention because I'm taking notes because I have been learning exactly what you're saying as far as repurposing my content, not trying to fill up every free moment of my my schedule to do work. Because I'm like you said, that's not why I'm doing this. I did it for freedom, not to replace the full-time job. <laughs> and then you got nothing left anyway. You have no energy left for the clients or the people that, you know, if, if you're working every second of the day, what kind of life is that? And um, and what do you have to, like, you've got to take something in, in order to be creative. And, you know, there are times that I'm sitting at, you know, I used to be sitting at my desk trying to work and I just thought like, I got nothing. Right. So I go in the backyard, pick up a fiction book and try to read in the middle of the fiction book. I thought, ah, I got this great idea. And then I run back to my desk. But, you know, if, if you're, if you're not allowing yourself that creative freedom, um, that, that creative, that's not going to happen. You're not going to be producing this content that people really love and you're not going to be attracting people. I mean, the whole point of my book is attract, don't chase, right? The reason 
people buy the book is because they have spent their lives chasing clients and um, they they know there's a, you know, a better way. They know there should be a way to be visible and credible without having to chase, but they don't know what it is. And so, you know, I wrote a book about how to attract people so that they're chasing you instead of you chasing them. And the other thing is, you know, I would recommend to anybody who really knows what their message is. And if you don't know what your message is, then, then ignore what I'm going to say, because you're not ready to write a book. But if you know what your message is, do write a book because the thing about a book is it forces you to crystallize your message. I mean, you know, when before when I was coaching, before I'd written the book, then I would let, you know, the client would drive what we're talking about. I would respond to whatever the issues are that the client would bring up. And I still do that in my VIP sessions, obviously. Um, but in my group sessions, in my group programs and in my book, it had to be one size fits all. It had to apply to somebody who could do it without me. They have to read the book without me. I'm not looking over their shoulder or if they're taking the online program. I mean, the first program, it had live people, so it was tailored to them. But since then, when I recorded it and people are taking the online uh, programs, it had to be um, it had to be valuable to my ideal client without me standing there and personalizing it every single time. So it forces you to crystallize your message into a book, into a program, into something that can give you the freedom um, to not always be there. And then the beauty of that is somebody reads my book or takes my program and then says, Sufi, I read your book. I love your stuff, but I do want you to personalize it for me. Then you get to bump them up to VIP and charge them more because they know, they know that, you know, they paid $20 for the book or they paid $2,000 for the program. They know that that's for general consumption. But if they want you one-on-one, they expect to pay one-on-one rates, right? And it's, it's, it's a much easier way to, number one, raise your profile in the marketplace because the more, you know, uh, not only the more you charge, but the more ways that people have to find you. You know, they, they, they know I lead a LinkedIn group. They know I wrote a book. They know I have the Spotlight 101 program and the bookcreationworkshop.com program and the Spotlight uh, um, 30 seconds dot biz program they know they can access me in all these different ways um they expect by the time they get to me that they're going to pay more for that and that means that i'm leveraging my time so i would suggest to all your listeners um don't just try to uh mimic what you did in corporate because probably most of your listeners and definitely most of my clients are people who did something else first um, don't try to recreate that. Create something that works for you and for your lifestyle. Wow. So good. And I, I like to ask this of people who come on my show, especially um, successful entrepreneurs such as yourself. How long did it take you once you got that revelation that, okay, this is what I need to do to fulfill my dream of why I started doing this to the time that you actually implemented and started doing it? Well, I'm still working on, you know, every day I'm still making decisions about how to make it better. So you never stop working on it. But like I said, it was really 10 months of running around bragging how fully booked I was. And then probably a few more years of continuing to do that until my days just seem endless and it just didn't seem so fun anymore. Right. I mean, I had fun sometimes in the sessions. But then dragging myself from, you know, one coffee shop to another coffee shop because I wasn't bringing people in in my home. And at one point I was going to pay rent for a place. And I thought, you know what, why add that burden to it, right? So I was going from place to place. And it just got tiring, especially in a Canadian winter. 
So I started working on it and just slowly increasing my rate. So naturally, um, you know, I was compensated a little more, but more people would leave, right? Because they, they wouldn't, I, I would never really actually raise current clients uh, mm-hmm. rates or rarely, but if they missed three months, or, or um, if they missed a certain period of time, they would come in at the new rate and they knew that. So for some people that kept them loyal and coming because they didn't want to pay the increased rate, right? But when people naturally dropped off, I replaced them with somebody at a higher rate. Um, so, you know, it does take time. I mean, I've been doing this for, I don't know, about 17 years. I'm not sure exactly how long. Um, and um, But I would suggest to your listeners, you know, Bump up your fee 25 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is. I don't know what you charge and I don't know what your listeners do exactly, but it doesn't have to be doubling your fee right away. Although, you know, um, one of my mentors told one of his clients just add a zero to whatever your fee is. And, you know, people are shocked by that, right? Because that means 10 times. I didn't do it like that. Um, But I've had clients, I mean, I cannot tell you how reluctant my clients have been to increase when they came to me. I've had lawyers come to me you know, maybe they're charging $350 an hour. And I say, no, okay, before we end this session, you're going to bump it to 400. They say, what are you talking about? And then, you know, a few months later, you get 400, three times, make it 450. You get that Mm -hmm. for a year, make it five, you know, they're up to six now or whatever, uh, or whatever it is. Um, And whereas they couldn't even believe it at first, now they, of course, they believe it, because that's their everyday reality. So I would suggest increase your rates a little bit because if you don't believe it, nobody will pay it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think David Sandler said the first sale you have to make is to yourself, right? Like nobody is going to um, think you're worth it until you think you're worth it. I -hmm. know I'm worth it, which is why people pay me what they do, but I couldn't have charged this, you know, amount when I started because I wouldn't have believed it then. And, you know, some of my clients never believe it. I mean, they come to me, I make suggestions, they don't do it because they don't believe it. You know, my my goal is to try to help them believe it. And usually we're successful at doing that, but not always. You know, some people just will never believe that they can charge more. And if they don't believe it, then they can't. You know, that old Henry Ford saying. And in in your opinion, the ones who don't believe it, are they the ones that wonder why they're not succeeding the way that they would like to? You know, I think everybody is wondering why they were not succeeding the way they would like to, because I don't know any successful person who isn't thinking, oh, I should be doing better, I should be doing more. Like sometimes we have to, you know, have other people recite back to us our comp. I mean, I think that sometimes, like, what am I doing? And I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. And people say, Sophie, are you kidding? <laughs> you wrote a book, you have a group of 10,000, you've, you know, you've got three programs, you've got, I've got 20 audio, like, no, but sometimes I have to have outside people remind me of that because I'm still working on or, or thinking about what I haven't done and what I'm not doing. And, you know, so um, I, I don't know if there's a correlation, Trina, to be honest with you. I don't know if there's a correlation between the people who um, are thinking that, you know, why am I not successful and the people who are not doing the things they should be doing, because I think I think there's completely separate issues. Right. I think, you know, you will have people with um, I think what was her name? Um, Joan Rivers. Right. Had a trillion pairs of shoes because she, you know, she grew up without having that much money and not. uh, And she just always thought, like, I need more. I need more. You know, Um, I don't know if that's true, but I I seem to recall that story about her. There There are people I just heard about a billionaire who they asked him, you know, when will you know if you have enough? And he said, I don't know, but I'm not there yet. 
So mm. I don't think it really, and then you have people who are living on third, you know, on a small amount of money per year who think that they're retired and they are free to be however they want. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. so I don't know that there's, a, to answer your question, I don't think that there's a direct correlation between what other people consider to be successful and what we think, um, mm -hmm. or you know whether we take these steps or not. But that aside, we should take these steps for ourselves. Um, we should, you know, charge what we feel we're worth, and we should try to expand what we feel we're worth. And if you honestly don't feel that what you're doing is worth more, then try to figure out a way that you can provide more value, add something that is worth more, learn more so that you're worth more. I mean, I'm constantly reading. I don't know anyone who reads as much as I do. I mean, I inhale books. I said it in my book, you know, I inhale books. I, I own more books than the, you know, I've given away a lot recently because, you know, I don't want to live with so much stuff around, but I, you know, there were, it was a time that I owned probably as many books as a little library. Right. And I gave away trillions of them <laughs> trillions, a lot. And I read a lot and I listen to a lot of audios and I'm constantly learning because I want to become more valuable to my clients, to the people in the Step in the Spotlight group on LinkedIn, to my quote unquote fans, to my podcast listeners. Like I want to have stories to tell them. I want to have advice to give them. Um, and I want to be continually growing and expanding myself. So um, I would suggest to all your listeners that if you don't feel you're worth it, become worth it. And even if you do feel you're worth it, you should still be learning to be even more valuable. And the other thing you should do is risk it and try because I have a lot of clients that just sort of, they didn't believe themselves that this would work, but they trusted me. So they did what I said, even though they didn't really believe it would work. And then when it worked, they said, ah, now they start to believe it, right? I have one client who announced to a, at a networking event of a, like 100 people that, you know, he didn't believe that doing what I said would work. Um, but it did. And now every time I tell him something that, you know, he's a little doubtful about, he says, Sophie, you've never told me anything that didn't work. So I'm just going to do what you say. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good coach there. And I, I totally agree charging what you're worth. And that's something that I had to explain to someone, um, a friend. And when I first got in business, I said, I'm, I'm charging for my service. And they were like, what, what? And I, well, yeah, you know, it takes time for me to prepare. It takes time. You know, I have bills to pay. I have a car to put gas and all these things. And somehow people just, they don't think about that. They don't. But realize. you know what, Trina, I have to, uh, may I be permitted to be a little bit coachy? And I hate when people do this, but um, would you submit to being coached for three seconds about what you just said? I will. All right. I hate when people do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. What you just said about I have bills to pay and my car needs gas and whatever. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do that when they're justifying their their fees or charging at all. Mm -hmm. And that's something we should never have to do. And we should never. I mean, I, I know we should never say should also. But I would suggest to my clients, you don't need to defend. You don't need mm -hmm. to justify. You don't need to explain. If your value if your clients are getting value from what you offer, it doesn't matter if you're going to blow that on, on bubble gum and candy floss, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't, right. It's, it's none of their business. You know, you know, that old story about the, the guy who charged $50,000 for, um, you know, 
banging a hammer on a machine to fix it. And uh, I, I mean, it's a cliche by now, but, but the guy said, what? You just took two seconds to bang the hammer. You're charging me $50,000. He goes, yeah, but I knew where to bang the ha- hammer to fix it. Like we know what we know. Mm-hmm. I, I really butchered that story. So look it up. But uh, <laughs> the point is, <laughs> the point is that if what we know or what we do has value, um, it's a big mistake to feel that we have to justify it or explain it in terms of our own lives. Because you know what? It's not about us, Trina. Our clients should not be thinking about us having to put gas in our car. That's Mm. not their business. That's not their concern. They don't care and -hmm. they shouldn't have to care. It's all about them. It's not about us. Right. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I say this not because you said it, but because I've had dozens of clients, you know, say stuff like that to me that they were going to say to their clients. And I said, no, no, that just puts you on the defensive. Coaches should never be on the defensive, right? Mm -hmm. Coaches are the ones that if you're on the defensive, your client won't have confidence in you. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. That's, that's, they got to trust that you can take care of them because you know, Mm -hmm. that's good. And believe me, I, that's well received. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, yes. Oh man, I I can go on talking to you forever <laughs> because read the you, book, read the book. <laughs> yes, and you know what? And I was got it on my list. Spotlightbook.com. Um, but we're gonna go into my questions that I ask of everyone because I know you've been busy with podcasting, so I'm gonna just keep it rolling right along. All right. Okay. Who or what motivates you? Huh. Um, I don't think it's a who, uh, maybe in the beginning, cause I had to feed my kids, which is what I told you, you know, never just say to your clients, but this is just behind the scenes stuff. Right. Um, but it, it's not really a who anymore. Maybe it's a what I, I like seeing, um, clients eyes light up mm. when they get it. I like seeing, um, you know, when they come to me and they tell me about the transformation that's happened as a result of what we did, I like seeing their success. Um, I like creating freedom in my life, like we've discussed, you know, to come and go as I please. And uh, so I think that's what motivates me. Okay. What demotivates you? Um, what demotivates me is people trying to tie me down. Mm. So, for example, on one of these one of these four podcasts, not you, um, the person wanted to make an appointment to talk about being on the podcast and wanted me to schedule it in his calendar. And that's just not something I do. I'm not mm-hmm. scheduling an appointment to talk to you about scheduling an appointment like or, or, or being on your podcast. You know, figure out who I am, figure out if I'm a good guest for you, but I'm not going to, you know, put it in your calendar and sing and dance for you. And in the end, he got it and he just booked me straight without that talk, right? It's not that I'm arrogant. It's not that I'm, you know, I mean, there's this great story about Shelley Winters. I tell it in my book about how she was asked to come audition for a role when she was later in her career, a famous actress. And uh, she's asked to audition and she's, you know, instead of not showing up, she shows up to the audition pulls an Oscar out of her purse, puts it on the desk, pulls another Oscar out of her purse, puts it on the desk and says, some people in this town think I can act. And she Mm. takes the Oscars, puts them back in her purse and walks out. (laughs) Mm. So 
I don't mean it like that. Like I'm not being arrogant about this. It's just that my time is valuable to me, right? So will I book the time to speak to you for a podcast that you're going to broadcast to your listeners? Yes. Why? It benefits you and it benefits me, right? It's a smart use of my time. It's a good leveraged use of my time because Trina, you have followers. You have a different background than me. You were in the Navy. You have different lists. Like your audience may be consisting of people that haven't heard of me yet. So it is, you know, from a a, a self-serving point of view, it is worth it to me to talk to you. And also from a helpful point of view, it's worth it for me to talk to you, right? Mm -hmm. But to, to tie myself up with an appointment to talk about talking to you, that's just not worth it to me. Mm -hmm. And I just don't do it. Mm. I'm not saying I've never done it, you know, um, but it's, it's not something I want to do. I want white space in my calendar. And if I write something into my calendar, it's either a paying client or it's um, a podcast or a radio show or an appointment with a journalist who's going to write an article or it's a speaking engagement, but it's not going to be conversations. I have a lot of people in my Step Into the Spotlight group, almost 10,000 people who um, would like to have a chat with me. Now, I'm not against talking to people in my group. I love talking to people in my group. And I say, sure, send me your phone number. If and when I have time, I'll surprise you with a call. But I'm not booking. And they send me little links to their Calendly calendar or whatever. No way am I doing that. No way. Am I tying myself down and I have to be somewhere at a certain place and time to have a chat? No, my freedom is more valuable to me. So it's not that I'm arrogant. It's not that I won't talk to you. But it's demotivating um, to feel tied down. Mm. Okay. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Um, you know, I, I don't know. When the, when the book came out, um, some guy thought that he had come up with the phrase step into the spotlight and he somehow owned it or no, no, sorry. It wasn't step in the spotlight. It was a subtitle because all businesses show business. Um, and I hadn't heard of it from him and whatever. So I just sent him a nice note and said, you know what? I own the Canadian website. He wasn't Canadian. Um, so I did him a favor of forwarding that website to his uh, uh, website, which he couldn't have done himself. Uh, and then I didn't rebuy it. So I did that as a gesture of goodwill. I don't know if it ended up for my good, but it made me feel um, that I took a rotten situation where somebody made me feel bad. Um, and I, you know, got closure by doing something good. Um, that's something that I try to do, you know, or, or if people, I do have a trademark on step into the spotlight. So if people infringe the trademark, it's kind of upsetting, right? I try to contact them and, you know, I let them know about it because when you have a trademark, you're obligated to defend your trademark. But I also try to befriend them and sometimes even to promote them. So I've written about some of these people who were, quote unquote, violating my trademark. Um, I've actually given them a plug on my blog. So that's kind of how I do it. I try to take, you know, if it is a lousy situation, I try to take that and think, how can I make this good for me and for other people as well? Hmm. What is your fear? Every entrepreneur fears, you know, the client's drying up and you're not going to have money. I mean, I don't know an entrepreneur that could be a gazillionaire. Um, Yeah, always, always. Where's the next client coming from? Um, Where's, yeah, I mean, I I think that's a very common fear. Okay. Is there a time 
when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Uh, yes. Um, not so much in my, in my core business, um, but, you know, kind of side, you know, investment-y kind of things, which I'm not going to share here because I, I, I never share anything outside my business. So those kind of things. But in my business, um, not really. I mean, I've had opportunities um, to speak in situations, you know, where it might have been good for me, but they asked me to compromise too much. Like, for example, there was one where it was a huge online organization, um, but they wanted to own my slides and my content afterwards. And I said, why would I do that? You know, so even though it was a big opportunity, I didn't do it. Um, but uh, other than that, no, not really. Okay. So is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Um, yeah, sometimes I say things I shouldn't say, or, you know, I'll make an impromptu joke in a speech that, you know, 99% of them work, but once in a blue moon, it doesn't. And it just sounds dumb. Or, or for example, I have this thing where sometimes I dare myself to do things. So I'll be at a big conference. Let's say there's a thousand people in the audience. It's not my conference has nothing to do with me. Um, but they have this time where they take questions from the audience. And sometimes I use that time, um, to in a very sneaky kind of way promote my book let's say so nine times out of ten it works really well and people remember me throughout the conference and sometimes buy a book or whatever but once in a once in a blue moon it kind of falls flat and it's kind of embarrassing you know you, you gotta try to do i mean you know i dare myself and the minute i dare myself my heart starts to pound and i think oh, do you really want to do this do you really want to risk getting embarrassed but you know i usually try to force myself and not always, but I usually do. And um, so, you know, the one time it, it falls flat, you kind of wish you hadn't done it. But the the payoff when it does work is enough that I still risk. Okay. What is your definition of success? Oh, being happy. Being happy and, and feeling free and um, getting to be where I want, when I want, with whom I want, doing what I want like really independence, freedom, uh, feeling s secure, but not bored, feeling like I can, you know, yeah, like I can choose what to do with my, my time. That's success. It's, it's really nothing to do with money other than having enough money to do those things that I just described, right? Uh, to have that kind of freedom and security. But beyond that, um, and by the way, thank you for that question, because in answering that question, uh, it kind of clarifies it for me and crystallizes, you know, the same as I said before that, you know, when I, when you write a book, you have to crystallize your message because it's going between two covers and you can't run to the bookstore and change it and write in the margins. When you ask me this question, kind of, I'm hearing my answer back. I'm over, I'm listening to these two people, Trina and Sufit talking. And I heard what I just said and I thought, yeah, I kind of agree with Sufit on that one. <laughs> Um, because I don't always say it to myself. Sometimes I think, oh, I should have more clients. I should earn more money. I should do more this. I should do more that. I should be more well-known. And I think, no, I really don't want to be more well-known. I, 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 You know, it's funny for the author of a book called Step Into the Spotlight, but I love my privacy. And, you know, I am um, known in the circle of people that are potential clients for me. Uh, as known as I want to be, maybe, you know, a little bit more might make it easier to get clients. But I definitely don't want to be, you know, Madonna known, Jennifer Aniston known, you know, people where you can't go anywhere. I would hate that. 
And and if, if I had to choose between living in that kind of spotlight or not having any kind of spotlight at all, I would definitely take anonymity over that kind of, um, you know, scrutiny. Um, but that said, I do very firmly believe that by stepping into the spotlight in one's business within a smaller defined area, there's a, a guy wrote a book called Get Slightly Famous. I mean, that's brilliant. That's that's kind of what, you know, so step into the spotlight with the people who could hire you and pay you and learn from you and, and be helped by you, but not so that, you know, you can't live a life of freedom. Hmm. How do you recharge? I take a book and go sit by the lake mm. or, or I go for a walk or, you know, I, I, I get away. I see what crazy stuff your president is doing. <laughs> 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 you know, I, I consider that better than comedy, you know, things like that. Mm, yeah, that's a whole different story. <laughs> yeah, I, should, I shouldn't have gone there. We were supposed to keep these evergreen and non-political, but, but you, you caught me off guard. You can delete that if you want. <laughs> what are you awesome at? Um, empathy, um, uh, reading audiences, you know, knowing how they, how they're reacting to a speaker. Like I, I watched the, you know, the democratic debate and, and I'm very, in, you know, interested in, in how they'll resonate with audiences. Um, and, and really helping people find their story and their color and how to say something in a way that resonates with people instead of bores people. Mm. What legacy do you want to leave? I just want to be remembered as a good person. Wow. That's, yeah, that says it all. Okay, Sophie, give the listeners one motivational takeaway. I don't even know where to begin with that. I, I don't think of I don't I don't think of what I do as motivation, even though you know it's funny because my book was is labeled marketing, mm-hmm. and I think of it as a marketing book. It made you know top lists on Amazon consistently in marketing also, but consistently in motivation categories. But that's not how I categorize it because that's just who I am. Like so, you know, I'm in Value Village with a guy. And he's got two items ahead of me. And I said, oh, you, you know, I compliment one of them. And I say, oh, you have good taste, right? And he, go, he holds up the other one. He said, should I buy this? And I said, yeah, not so much, right? He puts it back. So this is a total stranger asking advice of me, a total stranger. And he's listening to me, right? So I, I'm able to motivate people to, um, people just tell me that I, that, that I motivate them to do things that, they otherwise wouldn't do. Um, but I, when somebody asks me give a motivational tip, I don't have a motivational tip. My, my life is, is, is about motivating people to do stuff. So I will just tell you, come join my LinkedIn group at spotlightgroup.biz. Read the book at spotlightbook.com. Um, get the free tips at spotlightsecrets.com. And if you're not motivated, I will be shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Tell the listeners how they can connect with you. They can, when, when they take the free tips at spotlightsecrets.com, if they hit reply to any one of those, it will eventually get to me or sometimes directly get to me. And I will respond to you. I will. So um, www.spotlightsecrets.com 
You'll get a series of free tips about how to stand out in 30 seconds and interesting things about marketing and branding and reply to any of those and you will have my attention. Uh, you will be in direct contact with me and or go to the group at spotlightgroup.biz, post a question on anything you're working on about branding or marketing or speaking and people will answer and I will answer or just comment on other people's and I will notice you. Uh, those are great ways to connect. You can go to my um, website at sufit.com. That's T-S-U-F-I-T dot uh, com. And um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many other there's so many other ways. You know, spotlight101.com, bookcreationworkshop.com, uh, 30seconds.biz. But I would say start with the free secrets at spotlightsecrets.com, and we can take it from there. Okay. Well, Sufit, thank you for um, giving me time to interview you because I know you are a busy lady and I really enjoyed speaking with you and you, you've given some amazing information. Absolutely. My pleasure, Trina. And it's a pleasure to meet you and learn a little bit about you. I was sneaking around learning about you and you've got a pretty awesome story too. Oh, well, thank you. Hopefully, you know, we can meet and maybe we can collaborate on some things. That would be wonderful. Thank you. If you like Trina Talk, please don't forget to go out to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. I want to hear from you. So if you're loving it, please let me know what you think. Let me know if there's any suggestions and how I can better serve you to give you that motivation and inspiration that you need. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs motivation and inspiration? Share the podcast with them as well. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me, or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.